0: Hello!
1: Welcome to our fourth episode of Conversation Nuggets! I'm Paul. I'm Amber.
0: And...
1: And Meb is here and Emily's quiet as usual.
0: Yes, Emily is like the background intern producer. (laughs) She works behind the scenes. She's literally behind the scenes.
1: And Meb has just grabbed a wine cork.
0: let's start with what's going on with you all right so um so last week um if you guys have been following along with our episodes i decided to try veganism for a week just for fun uh, just to see if you know how difficult it would be if i notice any changes um or anything like that um, and i'll say that i finally got through the week And I'm very happy that it's done and over with because it was a really difficult week because when you're, when you're vegan, there is like, um, very little that you could eat, like like eggs. You can't eat eggs, like basically any animal byproduct. And then, um, even if I wanted like cereal or like a nutrition bar or anything like that, if it had like milk chocolate in it, then I can't eat that. Or if it had even honey. That's also not vegan, so I couldn't eat that either. I will say, I did cheat, and I had a couple of um, uh, candy corn in the beginning of the week. (laughs) And I I read the ingredient list, and I was like, crap, there's honey in this.
1: Yeah, I had a feeling it would be really hard. Um, What did you think of the meals, and how was your energy?
0: Um, Yeah, that was another thing. I literally don't think I was eating enough calories. So I had... Um, vegan, uh, vegan beef chili that was made with the impossible burger meat or ground beef. Uh, it also had some black beans in there and onions and green bell pepper. So it had, you know, it was kind of hearty. Um, so that was fine. And then the other thing I had was a vegan grilled cheese with tomato soup. That was not so good because the vegan cheese... Um, I think the taste wasn't so bad, but the texture and the smell of it was pretty off-putting. The smell of it, it, just seems like super fake and artificial. Um, it's not made with a ton of, um, like chemicals, but it tastes like it does. And the texture is really weird. Like, I don't know how even, I don't even know how to describe it. It's very like... It's like shredded cheese, shredded cheddar cheese, but it's very greasy, but it's not greasy, or there's no, like, I don't know, maybe that it's like gross. coconut oil or something like that.
1: I'm also kind of picturing American cheese, which I have always hated because to me it was like plastic.
0: No, no, no. The, uh, American cheese is a million times better than vegan cheese.
1: <laughs> Ew! Oh, <laughs> vegan cheese must be absolutely disgusting then. Yeah, by American the end of the week,
0: gross. I was not eating the cheese part anymore so basically I was just eating toast and tomato soup which is not like a complete meal
1: yeah that's not very filling and then
0: I didn't have like snacks either like I don't know I guess I could have had like chips or something like that but I don't know I just my diet was like so limited and it's like I didn't have much salt or electrolytes either so like I biked to CVS to pick up my prescriptions which is literally one mile away, uh, around like there to there and back, so a total of two miles. I biked there and I was standing on line, and I literally almost blacked out.
1: <laughs> I... So I wonder also.
0: <laughs> I had to like That's sit like down on the floor in front of everybody. Yes,
1: it <laughs> it's, it's a B to run or bike up that hill. But yeah, I wonder if also just the combination of you like already being on medication probably didn't help. And then biking and exerting yourself when you're on a limited diet. It was probably just like the perfect storm to like, oh, I'm just going to like make Paul pass out on CDS. Like that's. Yeah,
0: it was, it was a little bit embarrassing. Like I couldn't see or hear anything at all. Like I was literally like blacking out and like I like just barely heard like this random guy saying like, hey, like you're dizzy. Sit down on the floor. So I, like that's what I did. <laughs> so yeah, that was my little trip to CDS. Wow. So, yeah, I could definitely do vegetarianism, but not veganism.
1: Yeah, I think I think that would be very difficult. I really, no. you know, I don't eat too much ice cream or too many dairy products, but once in a while, I like some with chocolate chips in it, I like an ice cream bar, I like cheese if I go out to eat, I like cheese on my pizza, so it would be hard.
0: And it's not even about, like, craving things for, like, the taste, like... In terms of, like, nutrition and, like, sustenance, like, meat products or animal byproducts are a really convenient way to get, like, protein and carbs.
1: They are. Speaking of food, so this past week I picked up bone broth at, um, the grocery store, and now I wish I had, like, more notes on it, but Wait, basically, was it, like, beef or chicken? It was chicken, but it's bone broth. Gotcha. Um, which I've been reading and I've read several different places how healthy it is for you. And like the only thing that comes to mind right now is that it has collagen in it, which is really good, um, really good for you. So I was like, I'm going to pick some up. And like I've read that like, you know, a good way to flavor it is like adding some lemon juice and spices like oregano. So I did that and like a little dash of pepper and I was sipping it and I was like, it's not that it tasted bad, but the texture was so gross. And I forget that because I don't like soup, I'm probably not gonna like broth. I was thinking broth would well, just kind of be like a straight liquid, but it's
0: got to, substance to I, it. I imagine you're supposed to use it for soups, though. So if you no, make... you can
1: drink bone broth by oh. itself. Like it's made for sipping. In addition to making soups, but it's like a specific broth that you can like. But sip.
0: considering you don't like like super like liquidy soups to begin with, I feel like if you made it into like a thicker soup, I think it would be easier to eat. Like I, a, I don't like, like a, soups
1: though. Is the thing like so? I got it thinking it would be like a hot drink, like a good substitute for tea once in a while. But tea is like liquid, liquid. Yeah. Okay. And so you you were saying like,
0: so you're saying that making it into a soup would make it worse.
1: Yeah. Okay. Like just in general, like, gotcha. it's not the taste, the flavor was fine, but I couldn't get over the texture, and I was like, it, it was gross. <laughs> so I gave it a try. Not a big fan. Maybe I'll try it again in like a year. and Maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I'll wake up one day and love soup and love broth. But right now I don't.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm also super tired. I feel like an old woman because this week I did more driving at night than I normally do. Um, I live a whopping like 10-15 minutes from work. So I never have to drive at night for extended periods of time. And I had a friend um, who was in Richmond And I hadn't seen her in three years, so I drove down an hour to Stafford, Virginia to get dinner with her. And just driving down in the dark and then driving back up, 95, in the dark, in the rain. And I was like, my eyes hurt. I'm so tired. I'm so stressed out. Like, I was so tense, and I had to keep, like, shaking my arms out. Um, And then last night I was out with a friend, so I had to drive home from Bethesda late at night. And I was like, I'm such an old woman. Like, I can't drive late at night anymore. Uh I don't know, I I just feel really limited.
0: (laughs) So, when I first got my car, I had some really crappy headlights on there, but after I switched to, like, really bright ones, like, it's a a whole game changer. It makes it so much easier to drive in the dark.
1: Maybe that's what I need as well. Because I think you've also seen that, like, my headlight, um, the plastic covering for my headlight is a little bit yellow, and I feel like they're just, I feel like the lights themselves are really dim, too, and it doesn't
0: help. Yeah, so... I mean, those are quick and easy fixes. You can get like a little buffer and like buff out the headlights. They have like kits for that. And then light bulbs are pretty easy to switch out too. I'll right. we'll have to get on it. All
1: right. Should we go to our first agenda item?
0: Sure. What's uh,
1: jerk geese? Okay. <laughs> So basically I was just really frustrated because um, the building I work at, we have a lake right in front where geese love to congregate. And a couple times now, so I got um, this position at this building back in April. And a couple times now over the summer and this fall, as I'm driving to work, I just have to stop because geese are just walking across the road, like strolling, taking their time. And I was like, this is so frustrating. Um, I was sitting next to one woman one of the many times we had to stop and she was just like sitting on her horn and I was like I don't think we're allowed to like honk at them because I could have sworn maybe it was um Rachel BL um but somebody's told me that like you're not allowed to like drive up to a geese you're not allowed to honk at them you just have to let them walk in front of you and I was like why is this okay like it's to me I feel like geese are like the deer of the suburbs because I grew up and there's deer, but you're allowed to honk at them. You're allowed to approach them in the car as long as you go slow. You don't want them to hit you. Um, And it's just frustrating. Like, so I read, I was Googling online and I was trying to figure out and I'm like, are you really not allowed to honk at them? All I could find was that this woman, Lisa Naren Sisk, she's a media community services officer for Oxford County OPP. She was quoted in the London Free Press and she just said, The best way to approach web-footed pedestrians is to pull off the road, then activate your four-way flashers until they've crossed. She said it's not illegal to run over an animal, providing you do so without malicious intent and you're preventing an accident. Like, so you're trying to avoid hitting somebody else. And I'm like, who's going to pull over to the side of the road and turn on their flashers just to let some geese cross? They're not going to speed up. It's, it's going to have no influence whatsoever on their movement. So it just seemed completely nonsensical to me.
0: Yeah, and it's not like you're moving out of the way of other cars because they're not going to be able to go anywhere either. So there's really no point in moving to the side. Yeah. Maybe hazards is okay, like, so that people know, like, that you're stopped and, like, That's there's true. something to watch out. But pulling, like, going out of your way, pulling out, I don't think that really does anything. But also honking, I don't think geese really care (laughs) they're just gonna take their time they're gonna go at the speed that they're gonna go no matter how loud you are
1: that's true i will say when the woman was honking at them nothing was happening yeah uh so yeah geese are just jerks and i've decided that they're the deer of the suburbs
0: yeah luckily i haven't been caught by any geese going that way yet
1: just wait till you start driving to the building every day that has the lake in front of it.
0: <laughs> All right. So next topic. Um, so in our very own county, uh, Montgomery County, uh, we have a self-driving shuttle that's gonna be tested out. And this self-driving shuttle is like the cutest little thing. I'm. It's like by made by a company called Ollie O L L I.
1: Oh my gosh, it's adorable. It kind of, it makes me think of like a smart car a little bit.
0: So if you know what an Apple MacBook charger looks like, think of that, but on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> like propped upright and with wheels on it. That's pretty much the general shape That's of this Crazy. Does goes
1: like normal bus speed? Like it looks like it's...
0: So it's test, it's in testing right now and it's only going to be operating on a whopping half mile road stretch of road
1: how convenient
0: yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean but it but it's exciting though um yeah
1: i mean i guess you gotta start somewhere and that's
0: really cool it's kind of exciting that our county is like starting to invest in like these kinds of things um apparently it's uh it's already being tested in and in use at national harbor which is also in Maryland, in Prince George's County. So, yeah.
1: That's really cool. Kudos to the people behind that and the testing going on. Um. So, last week we talked quite a bit, I guess, about analysis paralysis. So I was talking to my friend Sarah about it, and she was like, you know, it's funny, because I don't ever have, sorry, my dog is whining. <laughs> he needs to sit on my lap like a child. And she's like, I don't ever have analysis paralysis. And I was like, that's so crazy. Because I was like, I literally assumed, you know, based off of everything I've heard and everything I've read that like, you know, less options is better for everybody. And her and I were talking about it and we're like, is it because we grew up in different like socioeconomic backgrounds? Because her and I have pretty similar personalities. So we were like trying to figure out why she loves having options and why I hate it. So I did some digging and I thought um, it was interesting. So there's this, I found this on Wikipedia. Um, There was this guy, Herbert Alexander Simon, and he's an American economist, or he was, an American economist, a political scientist, and a cognitive psychologist. And his primary research interest was in decision-making. So he realized individuals make differences um, using two cognitive decision-making styles. So there's maximizers, who try to make an optimal decision by looking at all of the options. And then there's satisficers who just try to find like a good enough solution. Um, so I was reading more about it and it says maximizers tend to take longer making decisions due to the need to maximize performance across all variables, variables <laughs> and trade-offs carefully. They also tend to more often regret their decisions, perhaps because they are more able than satisficers to recognize that a decision turned out to be suboptimal. Uh, Initial research on maximizing shows uniformly negative outcomes associated with chronic maximizing tendencies, um, including lower happiness, self-esteem, life satisfaction, greater depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Then it basically just repeated that like satisficing entails searching through available alternatives until an acceptable threshold is met. So I looked at that and I was like, oh my gosh, like, A, I'm usually a maximizer because I get anxiety if I feel like I'm choosing the wrong thing. So I think if options are presented to me and there's an abundance of them because of my like maximizer tendency, I feel like, oh, I have the responsibility to like consider each and every option and determine the best one. And it just feels like this big time intensive thing. It's anxiety inducing. I make a decision and then I'm like, did I really make the right one? So I think the reason I hate, like, and I get analysis paralysis is because I would prefer to just have less options presented to me because then there's less pressure to, like, make the good choice. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: That is interesting.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like you're a maximizer? Because I know you said you have, like, analysis
0: Yeah. Problems. So <laughs> <laughs> as Amber was saying, I was, like, thinking about, like, my shopping habits, and it definitely gets worse the more expensive the item is so like um say i'm like shopping for something on amazon like headphones or something um i feel like if it's if i'm just looking for cheap headphones i'll just pick up the first one that like comes up that has like a million like good reviews but then if i'm looking for something that's nicer a bit more expensive then i tend to do a ton more research before buying it like probably if it like depending on how expensive I could spend like up to months researching like if it's the right this one or not and then I go even further to see if there's anything like new coming out to see if there's anything new oh. that's better coming out in the future so I try to like dig up Like, stories on, like, upcoming releases and things like that. And then, even after I buy, I continue to do research to (laughs) make sure that what I bought was the right decision. Up until the return, like, the latest date that I'm able to, like, return or exchange the item. Yeah. And that is a lot of work. It sounds exhausting. (laughs) But it's done on, like, an impulse because I want to make sure that I got the right thing. And that's like, I don't know. I feel like what I do is kind of like, I don't know.
1: A little bit overkill? Yeah. (laughs) But maybe it's also, I think some of it too is especially tech products tend to be a bit more expensive and you tend to like technology things. So I think part of it too is a little bit that you enjoy reading about new technology things. Um, But yeah, that's, I will say like me, I don't. I don't like going to Amazon unless I'm getting a specific brand of something typically because I hate searching for something and then like 50 options come up and I'm like, do I take the best review? But like how much can I trust the random reviews? Because I know that there's a whole, you know, there's been like talks out there of them like third party companies that work with Amazon, like paying people to like do a positive review. So it's just Amazon is the worst when it comes to analysis paralysis. Yeah.
0: Yeah there's, like, so many products on Amazon. Like, You could spend your entire life looking for, looking through, like, literally all the pages for, like, one thing. Like, one type of thing. Looking for your
1: perfect thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's way too much.
0: So, yeah. Let us know if you are affected by analysis paralysis. Are um, you a
1: maximizer or a satisficer?
0: Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And you can either write to us at conversation nuggets at gmail.com or I found out about this new feature where you can share a link um, to somebody and they can like record, like have a voice recording and then have that added to your podcast. Oh, that's cool. Or like you can basically send your listeners like a link and then they can record their own like, thoughts and stuff, and we can later on add that to our podcast.
1: Right, almost like little voicemails. Yeah,
0: so I was thinking of adding that link to our show description for this episode.
1: Awesome! Feedback is welcome.
0: All right. So, 25, the next agenda topic is 25 minutes of silence. So, this is a podcast, and it's about, like, this guy interviews like, some famous people, and literally, it's 25 minutes of silence. Like, it's literally.
1: (laughs) So, how does he interview somebody if there's 25 minutes of
0: silence? So, it's, um, so, basically, the, the guy's name is Joey Clift, by the way, so he's done interviews, um, let's see, with. I think he's done some, like, actually some famous people. Um, he's interviewed an astronaut. Um, let's see, who else? The Powerpuff Girls, Writers, and Artists. Is, which is kind of random, but literally, it's like, he introduces himself and the guest, and then it's 25 Minutes of Silence. And that's the whole podcast. And I'm like, how is that a podcast
1: (laughs) i'm curious what prompts the people he interviews to agree to go on if they're not actually talking about anything that they're promoting which i I guess guess, if it's powerpuff girls like they're not promoting it anymore because the show's over but like
0: so i don't know if it's like he just asks these people to like just introduce themselves and then he just like and puts in like twenty five minutes of silence, <laughs> or yeah, if they're like on the line, because sitting there in silence. Yeah, because I think they like dial in or call in, and then like, that's it. that's just and then they just go about their day. He was talking about like sometimes he like does chores like while the podcast is recording. And it's just like that, and you might hear some like stuff in the background, but it's just and like the other person is doing something else too for twenty five minutes.
1: On one hand, I'm like cool because maybe it would inspire people to like meditate because like i think everybody in the world could use more silence in their life and lack of input but i'm like but i'm also so confused (laughs) but it's interesting
0: but hey if this podcast can gain any kind of like footing i feel like our podcast can do well too (laughs) it gives us a chance
1: that's true because we're talking about random things
0: yeah hopefully we're a little bit more interesting than complete silence
1: yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Maybe not as beneficial for the brain, but at least more interesting.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, do you want to take a break before we move on to our next segment?
1: Yeah, sure. All right. Hold tight. And we're back. All right. Um, so our next agenda topic was just praise for something I came across recently. I've been a big fan of these two guys. Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg. Um, They are authors of the best selling books Peak Performance and The Passion Paradox. Um, Their work's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, Wired, NPR, Outside, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Forbes, um, and then other national and international outlets. Um, Steve Magnus, fun fact, used to be an assistant coach for Nike. Um, And now he just coaches other professional runners. And Brad Stolberg, I believe he was a high-level consultant in Washington, D.C. I'm not 100% certain on that. But their book, Peak Performance, which I listened to, or no, I read the book, actually, when it came out, I believe, in 2017. And then The Passion Paradox came out recently. And Peak Performance was so good. And what I wanted to praise is that these two guys are just, they write about simple stuff that people should know, like the importance of sleeping seven to nine hours a night, um, you know, eating healthy, wholesome foods. Like they're not all about hacks and quick fixes, which I feel like litter the entire internet nowadays, like anything health and wellness related, workout related, career related, like Climb the corporate ladder this way. Like, it's just everything seems to be about, about, like, quick fixes. So it's like, I pulled an example of, like, Brad's tweets um, recently because I love following him on Twitter. So one example was one of the hardest but most important practices. Realize that you are not the stuff inside your head. You are the awareness that decides what to do with the stuff inside your head. The ability to choose which thoughts to pursue and which to leave behind is key to everything. It's, like, so simple, but it's very effective and it's worth remembering. Um, and it's so, all of this to say, I was really excited because they've, like I said, been writing articles for a long time. They wrote their two books. They are, um, they write articles for all different kinds of outlets. So they have, they recently launched this website called the growth equation and it's just a collection of all of their different articles, which, Just makes me really happy because I feel like the internet needs more people like them and needs more voices that are all about doing the good, simple things. Like simple doesn't mean easy, but just forget all the BS that's out there. So I pulled from their website, um, their little intro, and it just says health and wellness is a $4.2 trillion industry. The problem is simple. So much of what health, wellness, and performance industry is selling us doesn't work. If it did, it wouldn't be a trillion-dollar industry. Regardless of what the marketers or self-improvement bros want you to think, wellness is not a lotion, potion, or pill. You can't hack your way to peak performance. When it comes to striving for performance and well-being, it's about the process and the path as much as it is about any destination. Um... So again, that's just kind of like their ethos and their motto. And I love it so much because I feel like so many people are focused on the results. Everyone wants the perfect body, the high paying career, you know, to be the best at whatever hobby they're pursuing, but they don't want to do the actual work to get there. Um, So I just love it. And I would love to see more stuff like this on the internet where people become well known and make it big by just doing the right thing, preaching the right things. Um, And then one other thing that stood out to me is they kind of also remind me a little bit of this guy, James Clear, who I like following, and he has a great newsletter, um, which he sends out a weekly newsletter in addition to writing like articles on his website, which is just jamesclear.com. But he had a recent quote where it said the highest level of mastery is simplicity. Most information is irrelevant and most effort is wasted, but only the experts know what to ignore. And I'm just like... Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. Because how many people get lost in the weeds when they like find something new and they're like, oh my God, like, for example, I love running. Like when people become obsessed with running and they're like, I'm going to read all of the articles about all of the training and I'm going to sign up for a marathon right away. And what's the best way? And it's just like, it's simple. Just be consistent. You know, don't run too fast every day. You know, it's like do all the little things. So again, It just made me really happy and really excited
0: you know what kudos to them because i agree like everyone's looking for like a quick fix solution um every other article is like five easy ways to lose 25 pounds or like you know like five easy ways insert how to do something like really quick like you know those are the articles i feel like that get clicks that get the most traffic And people, it grabs people's attentions in, like, this culture, but, you know, it's nice that they're going back to, um, I guess, the basics and emphasizing the foundations. And, yeah, kudos to them.
1: Yeah. Also, I love that you said um, something about getting the most clicks, because, yeah, I feel like they're the opposite of clickbait. I can't stand clickbait. It's the worst.
0: (sighs) Okay. All right, So we have, um, ah, Toyota and Trump. So Toyota is one of the latest automakers to um, join Trump in rolling back EPA um, emissions um, standards. So Toyota is actually one of 10 manufacturers that are currently Um, taking sides with Trump on fuel economy rules. So um, there's Toyota and um, there's also, let me see here, Um, General Motors, Fiat Chrysler, Mazda, Mitsubishi, Nissan, Hyundai, Kia, and Subaru. They're all siding with Trump on um, going against the Clean Air Act with the state of California. And this is really disappointing because some of those manufacturers are, in their advertisements, are touting, oh, like, we're we're getting, like, we're, we focus on, like, good fuel economy. Like, Subaru really surprised me because Subaru, I feel like, tends to market towards people who are kind of outdoorsy, um, they care about fuel economy, and Subaru has been, like, focusing On optimizing fuel economy figures for their cars Um, even like dropping like horsepower and things like that to get their fuel economy numbers to where they should be so that really surprised me but Toyota was the one that like surprised me most of all because Toyota they're the pioneers of the hybrid car (laughs) like they came out with the Prius like well before anyone else like they're the ones who are um, first to the market and like other, ma- I remember when they first came out with the Prius, other manufacturers didn't even have anything viable on the market for at least a few years. Um, or like anything comparable to the Prius. And I don't know, it just baffles my mind that Toyota would be the ones doing this. And they have like uh, hydrogen fuel cell cars in in the works. And I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's just disappointing to me.
1: I agree. Like, I I also, I didn't realize that it could be up to the decision of the manufacturer on whether or not to follow specific regulations like that. Like, I thought, I wasn't, I don't know much about the Clean Air Act, Um sounds great based off the title but my thoughts would have been like i don't know if it's an act is it like a federal regulation that all manufacturers have to follow like that's what i would have thought
0: so basically it's i think it's uh it's based on california's rules because right now california has one of the strictest emissions um, regulations in the country <laughs> um so i think that's why people are using california's rules as kind of like the bar like where to set the bar in terms of where they should be um and then another thing is that toyota really stands out against these other manufacturers because um based on epa the a report by the epa that was released last year between 2012 and 2017 like all the other 10 manufacturers that are siding with trump they did actually increase their average fuel economy, economy of their fleet of vehicles that they're selling. So, you know, they all increased, except Toyota. Toyota's the only one that actually decreased their average fuel economy of their entire fleet, despite selling numerous versions of the Toyota Prius. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's just really disappointing.
1: Wow, yeah, that is really surprising really disappointing and like uh it's I I typically love when California passes like a pretty crazy law because I know I appreciate that they're just like you know what the rest of the U.S. isn't on board like we're just going to make this a regulation in our state for example they did something completely unrelated but like with NCAA athletes being able to get sponsorships now Across their entire state, because they were like, this is a problem, so we're going to fix it statewide. So I appreciate when California, like, rolls things out like this. So it's disappointing that, like, some companies just aren't on board with it, and they're like, nope. Yeah.
0: On the flip side, BMW, Ford, Honda, and Volkswagen all made deals with California to support the higher MPG results. So, yeah. So, if this doesn't change, I have, I currently drive a Subaru, I always thought of them as being, I don't know, envi- environmentally conscious, because they're, you know, working on hybrid technology. They only have like one vehicle that's a hybrid right now, but I know that they're they've been working on expanding that to their lineup, um, or there there's rumors that there are, but anyways, if they don't change, then I was gonna buy another Subaru as my next car, but. I might have to go with somebody else who actually cares about the environment.
1: Yeah, using your dollars is a form of voting. So, vote for the companies that you support.
0: And oh, speaking of climate change, so in New York, there, um, the Metro, actually flooded one of their subway um, entrances to test a um, like a waterproof gate in t- in case. Like there's a massive flood or something like that and this is all as a result of climate change so they're installing these water watertight gates so that you know if the streets flood and there's like i think they tested it up to like 10 some i think 10 or 15 feet i can't remember exactly um but they tested they were testing it and like people were walking by and they were seeing a subway entrance that was like completely filled up with water and they were questioning and one person tweeted the new york mta and they were like why is this entrance flooded so the mta responded we're testing one of our watertight gates because of climate change and they actually said because of climate change so
1: wow Uh, so i saw a picture of it um i think it was jimmy fallon who like um mentioned something about it on a show and he showed a picture and I was like, whoa, like that that's flooded. But that's really cool that they acknowledge we're doing it because of climate change. Like I yeah. need more companies admitting that it's a thing because it is.
0: <sighs>
1: All right, well speaking of Twitter, um I just and I think a little bit leaving off of like some of the business and like things we've talked about. Um I just love this tweet and it's just something else I wanted to praise. So Joshua Fields Melbourne is, um, one of the minimalists, which are, um, they've kind of branded themselves. They were these guys, long story short, that worked in corporate America. They had big houses, made a lot of money. Then they both got divorced and like gave away their things because they realized like, I'm not happy. I'm chasing the wrong thing. So now, um, they've written a couple books, but they just, you know, preach minimalism. Like, in terms of values, not like in items that you own. Um but they tend to tweet like really thoughtful things that kind of along the lines of um James Clear that I mentioned earlier and Brad Stolberg. And then like this stood out to me because you were talking about car manufacturers and like why do them some why do some make the decisions that they do? Um so Josh tweeted this where it said good businesses make money, great businesses make a difference. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's like That's amazing because yeah, so many businesses, I feel like, and I I think especially in a capitalist economy, so many businesses are encouraged by the wrong thing. And I think this is something that we've addressed in previous episodes where like our GDP is measured on the wrong things. And I feel like this is another thing where like businesses just measure their, their profits in terms of literally money, but like a good business measures profits in different ways. Like I like that the company that we work for, they have a system sustainability thing that they care about and they want to be a good place to work and it's like you want to see more companies caring about the environment and making decisions for the environment even if it means that like hey we might not make as much money this year but if we're moving things forward in terms of reversing climate change or at least stopping it from getting worse like that would be worth it so it's like I wish I could see more companies getting on board with newer things even if they weren't making as much money.
0: I agree. don't
1: a nice date. Um, okay. Vaping. I'm going to try to keep this one quick because <laughs> I know we're getting up there. It's a longer episode now. But I was listening to um, the Freakonomics radio. Um, it was a podcast episode, but Freakonomics. Um, and it was an episode called The Truth About the Vaping Crisis. So- oh,
0: yeah. I saw that. It's actually on my queue. <laughs>
1: It's really interesting. So I'm going to try to, like, long story short, because they talked about so many different aspects of it, but the one thing I really wanted to talk about that stood out to me was how the UK has regulated e-vaping compared to the US. So they kind of start out and they talk about, like, the nationwide, well, according to CBS News, but I pulled all of this from Freakonomics. Um, They said, CBS News has said the nationwide toll um, is now 31 deaths across 22 states, for vaping related illnesses. And in the U S roughly one in five high school kids vape. But they said, um, so the U S is trying to beat back the tide of vaping. Like in general, they're just trying to get rid of it. They're like, Oh my gosh, we made a mistake. The UK has embraced it as a harm reduction strategy in terms of trying to get someone to trying to get more people to get, um, to quit cigarette smoking. Um, so they talked about why previous, options for nicotine products haven't worked for a lot of people that want to quit smoking like for patches and gums and nasal sprays and they said it's because um they don't get the sensory effects that people do with vaping so when people vape they get the social experience they get the feeling of holding in their fingers they get the smoke um so there's all that stuff they talked about um Uh, I'm trying to find the notes about how the UK, basically the UK, um, put a limit on the amount of nicotine that could be in an e-vaping tool, whereas the U S they either didn't put a limit on it or their limit was much higher. And I can try to find that. Um, so, oh, here it is. So the UK, um, they put a limit on the amount of nicotine that's allowable in, and they're referencing Juul products, which is a type of like e-vape. Um, product that you use
0: it's like it's like one of the brands like yeah i was like i don't know what you call it (laughs) e-cigarette
1: um so in the uk you can only have up to 20 milligrams per milliliter of nicotine in your e-liquids in the u.s there's no limit at all so jewel comes along they put 54 milligrams per milliliter in their products and it's no surprise that kids are getting addicted Um, So people might not realize that there is a JUUL in the UK, but they don't have a youth JUULing problem because they have that 20 milligram per milliliter limit. And this is all stemming from the fact that the UK said, we're going to treat this as a harm reduction strategy. Like, yeah, e vaping isn't good, but it's better than the alternative. And the US was just like, whatever, we're not going to regulate it. I also found out from the episode that they didn't regulate it because the FDA um, treated the e-cigarette as a drug delivery system because you can technically smoke different types of substances and it's just listening to this episode really pointed out like how many things the u.s kind of did wrong when e-cigarettes became a thing or maybe not wrong but like things i kind of disagree with and it's like oh my gosh like why didn't we do it the way the uk did because so many less like less children there are smoking um they, I believe, they said in the episode that nobody has died of a vaping-related illness because, again, they don't have—they're not as addictive with as much nicotine as they have in the U.S. version. So it just blew my mind, and it's—I highly recommend listening to the episode because <laughs> they go into so much more of it. But that's really what stood out to me.
0: I feel like the U.S. sometimes lags behind on creating new le- legislation whenever, like, a new technology or something new comes along, um, then I guess, it's not for everything, but for certain things, like, I guess the e-vapes, I guess, I don't know, it just seems like not many people were really informed about what it exactly is, the different types of vapes there are, and all that, like, the legislators, I mean, I, I don't think they were really, um, well-informed about that, and then, there's some other things that the u.s is like really behind on like headlight laws like we're not allowed to have like really advanced headlights um such as like active matrix or like there are certain types of like laser headlights that they that europe has and are fully legal but u.s just doesn't have the type of laws or like haven't adapted their laws to allow these like newer and better types of headlights and even like side view mirrors like Every car has to have a side view mirror, but in Europe, you're allowed to have actual cameras that are like wider angle, and you just have like little monitors inside the car, and I feel like that gives you much better visibility and less blind spots. But in the U.S., you have to have mirrors, because <laughs> and they haven't adapted the the laws to
1: that's crazy allow
0: like any kind of like new technology.
1: And I. I feel like part of it's got to be because I know we're a relatively big country and we're not very, um, homogeneous. So there's a lot of different people. There's a lot of different people with different priorities just based on like cultures. And we have a lot of different people in poverty. We have like crazy rich people. So it's like the regulators are trying to like please and pay attention to like all these different types of people. So it feels like it's so hard to get laws passed especially like spanning the entire country that's crazy though yeah so frustrating so yeah it's and it one of the things they kind of talk about like just the whole again that UK is regulating it and the US didn't and I'm like when I went to the Netherlands with my mom and my aunt earlier this year and it's like prostitution is legal there but they highly regulate it because they realize like it's not a healthy thing it's not a good thing but if we regulate it then it's not going to get out of control and it's like other countries kind of realize that like you know banning something outright isn't necessarily the best thing to do all the time and the u.s tries to do that a lot and it just kind of backfires
0: yeah like you make something illegal but if it's if there's a demand for it if there's enough demand for it people will find a way and oftentimes if you have to go through several loopholes then you're probably Dealing with, like, some really shady stuff or really shady practices to get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be, like, that much less healthy, whatever it is that you're chasing. Yeah. All right. Real quick, before we go, um, to end on a positive note, um, I was scrolling through Instagram and annoying because this ad popped up, but (laughs) when I first saw it, it was, like, sustainable holiday cards. And what did the ad itself say? It took, like, a screenshot um holiday cards that help save the planet and when I first saw it it's this company called paper culture and I kind of like scoffed to myself because I was like well if you really want to save the planet you're not going to use holiday cards and I was like oh my gosh okay I was that was a total grinch moment that was my
0: first reaction
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I like took a step back and I was like that's ridiculous like I, I get why people send holiday cards if you have a family you know people take their dorky little pictures but they send it out and it's a great way to stay in touch with people and you know to give the annual update with what your family's doing so okay i get it um so i looked more into this company and i just thought it was really cool what they were doing so they said that they partner with local paper manufacturers to create the paper themselves and they use 100 post-consumer recycled paper so they cut down no new trees for their cards Uh, They said by selecting products that are made with 100% recycled paper and other eco-friendly materials, um, they're planting a tree for every single order, and so far they've planted over a million trees. And what I like is that they said, but this isn't going to solve the climate crisis. They say that's where you, the customer, come in. We hope that by delivering an amazing experience, we can inspire you to incorporate design and sustainability into other parts of your life to share your stories and in turn inspire others. That's how a single purchase becomes a pattern, which becomes a movement. And I love I love that they really, you know, they gave their little spiel, but that they acknowledged like, hey, we're not going to solve the problem, but we hope that we inspire you and that you inspire other people. And I just thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had these like fun little facts about um, trees, which they actually pulled from like Carbon Day and the Arbor Day Foundation. But one of them was, One mature tree produces enough oxygen to support a couple for one year. Um, One tree absorbs as much carbon dioxide as a car produces, driving 26,000 miles. That's crazy to me. Wow. This was the craziest one. The net cooling effect of a young, healthy tree is equivalent to 10 room room-size air conditioners operating 20 hours a day. I was like, there's no way. Trees
0: are amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs)
0: So stop cutting them down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so kudos to the company for realizing like, you know, why don't we just take something that's already existing and see what we can do to make it better and inspire people to make better choices.
0: That's really nice. I yeah. really like that, you know, they're trying to raise awareness in addition to, you know, adopting some, you know, eco- ecological, no, environmentally friendly practices themselves
1: yeah yeah i thought it was really cool so kudos to paperculture.com
0: so yeah that concludes our episode for today and if you would like to share your thoughts or um you know make any comments or suggestions there's our email nuggets at gmail.com and then i'm also going to share a link where hopefully this is our first time using it so hopefully it works but um if you want to send in like a voice recording you can share that too
1: yeah that way you guys can listen to an episode and watch just be our voices
0: yeah
1: um also we'll have actual podcast notes this time so we'll have some of the links for some of the things we were talking about if you wanted to actually read any of the articles yourself
0: all right so thanks for listening bye bye